Good afternoon and welcome back to Intrepid Radio, the show that showcases some of the world's most intrepid people. I'm your host, Todd Schnick, joined today by a return guest to the show, although I have not spoken with this gentleman in quite some time. I'm looking forward to having him back. His name is Colin Wright. He is an entrepreneur, publisher, and a best-selling author. And in fact, we're here today to talk about his newest work called Act Accordingly. Welcome back to the show, Colin. Hey, thanks for having me back, Todd. It's good to catch up with you, Colin. It's been too long. Uh, before we get into the new book, take a quick sec and tell us a little bit about you and your background, what you're up to. Sure. Well, uh, my my online story, I guess, starts about four years ago. I was running a branding studio out in Los Angeles and decided I wasn't living the lifestyle that I wanted to live. Uh, so I got rid of everything that I owned that wouldn't fit into a carry-on bag, started up a blog and started traveling full-time and uh, asked my blog readers what countries I should move to. And so since then, for the past four years, I've been moving to a new country every four months based on the votes of my readers and uh, kind of segueing out of the branding scene into publishing. So I've been doing a whole lot of writing on my blog, doing uh, a couple subscription services where I write regularly, uh, and then publishing books. And, and that's been the focus of a lot of my time in addition to the uh, to the travel and just kind of seeking out new experiences and people. Outstanding. Well, when are you going back on the road again. I, I saw some mention re- um, relatively recently that you're getting the bug to hit the road again. Uh, when, when will you hit the next country? I'll be heading out again in September. I, I've been sticking around the U.S. to work on this uh, this publishing company with a couple friends of mine, some other blog place. If I had to spend a bunch of time in the U.S. for a while, this is the place to do it. And uh, yeah, I've been staying in the country essentially to, to lay the foundation for that, to make sure we do it right. And then my, my little sister's getting married in September, so I didn't want to leave before that. Understood. Well, uh, the family wouldn't, under, wouldn't appreciate that. You really can't Skype in, <laughs> Skype in a presence there. Colin, uh, the new book launching the 25th of June is called Act Accordingly. (laughs) Let me be honest with you, pal. There's an awful lot of books out there about what to do with your one life. Uh, Why did you have to write this one? Why is it different? This this was actually a very interesting book to write because the writing only took a day. I I sat down and just wrote it, but it's kind of like uh, asking somebody who's a painter how long it took to paint a canvas. Well, it might have taken them a day or two, but it took them like years and years and years to accumulate the experience and the inspiration for the piece. And that was the same with this book where I've been building up to this book for about 28 years. And uh, finally it came to a point where I needed to get it down on paper there were certain uh, philosophical framework elements that I wanted to share with people, as opposed to just coming in and writing out a philosophy and saying, this is what I believe and you should believe it too. I wanted to take some things that had helped me develop my philosophy over time uh, and, and share that with people so that they can apply it to their own lives. So then hopefully based on their background and their their spiritual beliefs and their experiences and, and all the little things that make up an individual person, uh, these things will help them become an even better version of of themselves rather than trying to indoctrinate them with some kind of dogma that I'm pitching. Very clearly, the book is a, is a relatively short read and very simple, and, and you don't burden the reader with exactly the Colin Wright 
how to do this and here's the here's the 50 step process that i followed it that if you follow perfectly you're going to be happy too it's a more of a simple framework can you can you talk a little bit about what that basic framework looks like yeah absolutely and, and getting it down to this size was not easy actually that, that's the the funny part about writing books is that you usually write a whole lot more than you end up publishing well who if, was it wasn't it lincoln who said uh, i apologize or is it twain i can't remember i apologize for the long letter i didn't have time to write a short one yeah, I think that was Twain. Exactly, exactly. It takes time. And this book in particular took me a day to write, but it's passed through like 30 or 40 hands since then of people helping me kind of chip it down to something that is the most concise, deliverable, uh, understandable, hopefully shareable type of work that it possibly could be. And the essence of it, the, the title is Act Accordingly, and that stems from a quote from a, a piece of writing that I had done at one point that has really resonated with a lot of people that uh, you have exactly one life in which to do everything you will ever do, act accordingly. And it, it's that type of philosophy that the rest of the book kind of um, orbits because it, it's making a blanket statement. It's saying just realize you, you've got one time around and, and whether or not you believe in an afterlife or resurrection or reincarnation or whatever it happens to be, this is the only time you've got with this life. With you as who you are now and as a human being, you don't get a, a, another chance. This is not training. So do whatever makes sense for you based on that information. And the rest of the book takes, uh, takes on other facets of life using that same, that same framework, that same approach, uh, talking about freedom, talking about uh, personal development and why it's not the same thing as being selfish, uh, about failure, about confidence, about something called the campsite rule, uh, personal relativism, uh, a thing that I call Tetris theory, which uh, is the geek in me coming out, but also explaining uh, something that I, I think makes a whole lot of sense. And then things like value, sustainability, and uh, logos and branding and how we apply things like that to ourselves. So it really runs the gamut, but it all surrounds that that one idea that these are not groundbreaking concepts that I'm sharing, but they are things that it's good to be reminded of. And I've developed some approaches to remind yourself and then help you figure out what your own beliefs are so that then you can use these uh, realizations as well as possible. You made a comment recently that, that struck a chord with me, and, and, well, not really struck a chord with me, but made me ask some uh, important questions. But you, you said recently, uh, you, you don't think that happiness is a bad thing. And, and the context of that was, I think, and I'd love for you to expand on it, was there, there seem to be a lot of people that are afraid to take this kind of direction, to strip down their life into a simple formula of I'm going to pursue what, what I value and what makes me happy and that, that people are afraid to live that way because that's not what society expects or asks of them. Talk about that a bit more. Yeah, yeah. You, you understand that exactly the way that I meant it. Uh, we, we're supposed to look toward happiness as a goal. Like it's something that we work toward our entire lives. And, and I call shenanigans on that. I, I think that's ridiculous. I think we should be doing things that allow us to be happy most of the time. If, if the things that we're doing do not make us happy, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't have to be the, the act of work, for example, that makes us happy. It could be the end benefits at the end of the day that make us happy from doing that work. But whatever the case may be, if 
if a solid percentage of our time, over 50% of our time, is not happiness, we're probably doing something wrong. And it's not something that we need to spend our entire lives building up to or earning in some kind of uh, post-World War II propaganda type of way. This is not something where we need to be sacrificing our entire lives for the potential of reward sometime in the future. That's a silly, outdated concept. And, but it's something that still most of us adhere to, even if not consciously, it, it's kind of a, a subconscious conscious, uh, cultural, societal expectation that if you're happy, maybe you're not putting as much work into life as I am. Maybe you're not uh, you know, paying your dues, that type of thing. One of the callings of the book is uh, you, you force people to question some long-held biases. Uh, talk about the common ones. You guys are on the road an awful lot, touring around, talking to a lot of people. Uh, what are, where are the biases that are holding most people back? There's quite a few, actually. Um, failure is a big one, especially in some countries more than others. But in the U.S., we've got this idea. Um, we're pretty good, actually, compared to a lot of countries where failure is considered something in some cases that you fall on your sword for, uh, metaphorically or otherwise. Uh, but, but the idea that failure is, is, is a failure, <laughs> that the idea that it's a bad thing. Within the entrepreneurial community, it, it's a common saying that uh, failure is kind of a step on the way to success. And a lot of people won't hire somebody to work for them unless they've failed at some point in the past, either been fired or started up a company that failed, whatever it happens to be. And, and that's a common misconception. People kind of guide their or use uh, failure as a as a guide for their decisions they do everything they can to avoid the potential for failure and that's a lot of what uh, ends up holding people back is this idea that if i fail i'm less of a person which couldn't be further from the truth so long as you take that failure in stride and you get back up and you keep going and you take what you learn from the experience and apply it in the future you're you're a better person for it and that, that that's a very common misconception Confidence is another one that I focus on big time and act accordingly because uh, people who are confident sometimes aren't and sometimes people who aren't confident actually are. Uh, we, we kind of misattribute certain uh, properties of arrogant people, for example. Uh, we, we consider them to be confident, uh, whereas other people who might be uh, introverted, for example, we, we consider that they might not be able to be confident, which, which couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, there, there are certain things about related to confidence that we don't talk about because it's not considered to be polite or whatever. But, but at the end of the day, somebody who's confident, really, they measure themselves against themselves and nobody else. And, and they don't care if somebody insults them or, or somebody does something to step on their honor or pride because the, these are not things that matter. At the end of the day, you're confident in your decisions, you're confident in yourself, and you're confident that if you don't have the answers now, you will. Even if you're wrong now or if you fail now or if you don't know the answers now, you will. You, you know that you can get those answers. You know that you can come up with a solution. So, so extrapolating on those types of things, I, I spend a lot of time in the book kind of uh, trying to quash a lot of these ideas that we have about uh, ourselves and, and the way that we see the world. Failure. I mean, it's the bane of most people's existence. I, per, perhaps the reason that you and I embrace failure, if you will, is that you know we're both entrepreneurs, and I think uh, by just by nature of the life you live as an entrepreneur, failure is just a part of that. And maybe it's because of the similar circles that you and I run in. We interact with a lot of people who see failure as a good thing and the lessons learned, uh, and ha that's how you grow. What? Twenty thirteen. Colin, why are we still having to talk about this? I, I, I mean, <laughs> is, it's just, it's so frustrating. 
it's it's something that helps keep people in line. I think it, no nobody wants to be seen as less, especially less than somebody else. And a, a great way to to feel like you're less is to, is to be in that moment of failure. I mean, even people who embrace it as something that is a step on the way to something better, it sucks in the moment. You know, I I remember some of my greatest failures as some of the worst isolated moments of my life. Uh, and you know, you move on from that, but still, in that moment, it feels just absolutely horrible. And I think that's what people are trying to avoid is that pain, that, that kind of stab to the gut that you go through when you fail, and then the implied uh, derision that you get from society as a result, Wh whether or not that's actually true. I, I think, again, in most cases, if you come back from it, it's even more impressive. And usually what you do, taking what you've learned from that failure, makes you even more impressive and, and hopefully more confident. Uh, but that's not what we think, and that's not what we're told. And, and the people who are telling us this either are stuck in that same cycle or they realize that by keeping you kind of locked down and not taking too many risks, you'll be much better behaved. It's, it blows my mind, Colin, that the same groupings of people who embrace and love comeback stories are also the same people that seem to get held up by fear. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating scenario. Um, this idea of confidence. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that it seems like most people don't have it. Is it? Is it? This is an awfully simple question for me to ask, and maybe some question will set. Maybe some people will question that this is a too simple-minded concept. But if you're pursuing something that makes you happy and you feel happy, is, I mean, is that confidence? I mean, is that is that fair, <laughs> is that fair to say? I think it's an element of confidence, certainly, yeah, because if you're doing that, then you start to feel that you are capable, and, and at the end of the day, uh, confidence is about being kind of a, a self-contained engine. You, you don't need reaffirmation from other people, but you, you're not afraid to take it because you don't feel that taking it lessens you in any way. It, it's essentially being comfortable with yourself and with your ideas and with your ability to eventually get where you need to go. If, if I was going to reduce it to the lowest common denominator, that's probably what it is. So, so what you just said is definitely a reflection of confidence, being able to pursue these things and being comfortable doing it even if there's not a roadmap laid out for you. Uh, th that, that's a very confident thing to do. And then even better if you lay out a path behind you for other people to follow because a confident person isn't afraid for other people to join them at their level be because they're not competing with these other people. They're competing with themselves. There's a write-up in the book that talks about pursuing passions in accordance with a personal philosophy. I feel like, Colin, that if you sit down with a lot of people, a typical profile of someone who could benefit from this book, if you were to ask them, well, what's your personal philosophy? I, I think a lot of people would struggle with articulating that. Yeah. Is that a, I mean, do you see that? I mean, how, how can you help someone understand and, are, and be able to articulate their own personal philosophy? It's a difficult thing. And in a lot of cases, actually, the, the final chapter of this book talks about a word from Icelandic called leafspeki. And uh, leafspeki is not just philosophy. It's a word that we don't really have a word for in English. It is the practical philosophy by which you live your life. So you might have a philosophy. You say, I believe this, 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 and this. But you don't actually live in accordance with that philosophy. You think they're nice ideas, but you don't do anything about it. Whereas a leafspeki 
is the philosophy that you define with your actions. This is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. And that is the definition of your Leafspecki. So putting it in those terms for me was kind of revelatory because I, I've tried very hard for years and years and years to live according to my beliefs. But once I learned that word, then I realized that there were some things that I, were doing, that I was doing that still were not in accordance with those beliefs. So my philosophy was actually something different than I thought it was. And once I realized that, once I took a good hard look at what I was doing and how I was living my life and the goals that I was pursuing and the people I surrounded myself with, all of these things, these in ingredients that go into your, your worldview that help shape your mor morality and your ethics and such, I, I kind of had a, a redefinition moment where I had to, to realize that this is who I actually am. Maybe I should focus on being an even better version of that. Well, this is a related question, Colin, and, and your answer may, may ultimately be relatively similar, but I'm going to ask it anyway. There's, there's a quote from the book I think I just saw today on Facebook, uh, a bullet of intention flying towards a vitally important target. <laughs> a similar comment that I have is that I, I worry that a lot of people don't know what their vitally important target is. Is there anything new to add there? I mean, how do you help people? What do you say to people who say, oh, I just... I'm not satisfied, but I don't know. I don't know what I want. I think a big part of it is taking the time. <laughs> a lot of people, I think, expect to have that thought, like, what do I believe? And then they take a moment and they sit and think. And then, you know, five seconds later say, well, no, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I know what I think. It's not as simple as that. It, it takes a lot of introspection. Uh, for me, it, days and days, every time I reassess this type of thing, every time I decide to purposefully take a step back and make sure that I'm on the right course. Uh, I, I set aside days for it. And, and that's not days where I'm just sitting in a room quietly thinking, but days where I'm constantly assessing my actions and looking at the people in my life and looking what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time and how I'm spending my, my energy and resources. It's not a, a single faceted element that you're looking for. It's a multifaceted element. So in order to really see who you are and what you're doing and what you believe and, and where you want to be, it, it requires that you take in multiple facets of the life that you're living now. So I, I think that's probably why most people uh, are not necessarily as aligned as they could be because it does take time and it does take really purposeful intent to figure out what your, your next step should be and, and what the goal looks like that you're headed toward. Boy, you know, this idea of daily introspection, I mean, it's so powerful. I understand it uh, better than probably the average person, but yet I don't do it enough. And I think it's fair to say that most people, again, probably your intended audience for, the, for, this, for mm -hmm. this book, uh, aren't doing it, if at all. Do you have any piece of advice on how someone can begin to prepare themselves mentally for, for this daily introspection? How's that, how's that, how's that look? What is that, how's that take shape? For me, it was as simple as realizing that uh, it doesn't have to be intimidating. <laughs> we look at things like meditation and such, which a lot of people find immense value in, but it's intimidating because you feel like you need to have this spiritual experience or you need to start levitating or, or something something crazy like that. It it doesn't have to be that way. There are not rules necessarily to it. Uh, for me, it was about reducing the elements of the, uh, the types of meditation or the types of introspection that really benefited me uh, down to the lowest common denominator and doing that repeatedly uh, and in a short period of time, enough time that I could find this amount of time every day, uh, 20 minutes. I, I do 20 minutes a day where I sit quietly. 
and that's it. I, I don't listen to music. I don't do anything. I don't talk to anybody. I don't stare at anything. I just sit in a room and I allow my brain to go wherever it will go. I don't try to clear it. I don't say om. Um, <laughs> just doing that is enough to, at, at the bare minimum, it helps you kind of filter. And in a lot of cases, I'll emerge from this 20 minutes with a bunch of stuff that I forgot to do or a bunch of ideas for writings, things that I need to write down. Uh, but don't stop and write while you're doing it. You want to stay in this mind space and allow your yourself to kind of free associate. Doing that allows you to keep a very close tab on what's going on in your brain and what's going on in your life and what's important and what is frustrating you or making you happy or what's making you sad. What, what's important to you? And do that enough, then, then you don't even really have to focus so hard because it'll do it automatically. You, you will have your finger on the pulse of, of what is vital in your life. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, you know, you and I, I hope I'm not so, too bold in saying this, uh, and if someone will probably call me on it, but I, I, I feel so much confident that you and I are, are living lives uh, f- roughly based on this framework that you're talking about. I mean, we, we have our own schedule. We, we're doing what we want. What, what We're pursuing what makes us uh, happy and satisfied. We're building a self-sustaining life. Um, so, frankly, what I'm really getting at there is it's easy for you and I to talk about the message of this book and say, here's what you can do. Here's how you do it. Uh, but let's think about the poor bastard stuck in a cube with a lot of debt, <laughs> living living what, what we would say is probably a pretty typical, pretty common lifestyle uh, here and probably around the globe. What's the message to this guy? I mean, yeah, Colin, yeah, I want to live that way. I'd love to simplify things. I'd love to pursue what makes me happy, but I'm stuck. I've got debt. I have all these possessions and, and all this stuff. How, how does that guy begin to break through? Well, the first thing to realize is that at the end of the day, this is not owning your philosophy and knowing what it is and being able to make small changes and make your life better a little bit every day. That's not something that necessarily leads you to a life of working for yourself or traveling the world or or, or whatever. These things that we commonly associate with like the lifestyle design thing or the entrepreneurship thing. I know people who are perfectly content working in their cube and they, they like having that differentiation between their work day and their, their life outside of work. And that is totally legitimate as well in my mind. Uh, but the idea for this is that it helps you straighten things out. It helps you put all your ducks in a row and then allows you to make those small changes just a little bit every day incrementally that eventually develop into something even bigger. Uh, it allows you to become, uh, and I say this repeatedly through the book, a better version of yourself. And, and it's not about changing yourself. A lot of people, they don't need to change anything about themselves. They just need to keep on refining who they are. Uh, and, and even the people who do need to make big changes in order to be happy happy. There's nothing wrong with them inherently. It's just there, there's things wrong with what they're doing. And if they want to get to the to that best version of themselves that they can possibly be. It's about changing small habits here and there. It's about changing their perspective so that they're not afraid to, to act on something that they've been putting off, or they're not afraid to, to realize that they can embrace a certain aspect of their life that they've been kind of fretting over. Uh, so so what I'm, I guess I'm saying in essence is that it, it's a message for everybody, no matter what step of the way <laughs> uh, you're on, on the, on the way to your goal, but it's also something that helps you make sure that you're going towards 
toward the right goal to begin with. And, and I think that's vital for, for anybody at any stage doing anything with, with any lifestyle. Uh, it, it's something that we could all benefit from. Yeah, and I appreciate you, you clarifying that. I didn't mean to impugn that the cube dweller is, is, is living a miserable existence. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but pursuing personal philosophy that resonates and has meaning for you and gives you satisfaction and happiness uh, can be attained even by someone living and working in a, in a large organization. I, I appreciate the clarification there. I want to I want to wrap by talking about uh, your publishing house a bit, uh, Asymmetrical, which you touched on uh, at the top of the show. Uh, and I, what I would love for you to do is to wrap the ideas and framework which you're presenting in this book with how you're building that business uh, with Josh and Ryan. Uh, and, and how that's enabling you uh, to r- run a, a growing, thriving business and yet still live within this framework and, and acting accordingly. Asymmetrical Press started with, as you said, Josh and Ryan, two guys who run uh, theminimalist.com. So they're, they're also very in tune with their, their personal philosophies. And that's part of why we started this business together is that none of us really liked how the publishing industry was was operating. And we've all had opportunities. We all make a living off of our books and our other writings, but uh, it, we've, we've passed on all the opportunities from the larger publishing industry because it, it simply did not work for what we wanted to do. The, the caliber of work we wanted to present and the way we wanted to present it, it's giving away too much power uh, but behind what we want to say to people. Uh, so starting this company allowed us to do multiple things. One, it allowed us to share what we've been doing with other people so that other people with good ideas can can take their work, put it out into the world, and then hopefully make a living off of it. And providing those resources, providing uh, a free community called the Asymmetrical Community where people can share resources with each other as well. Uh, and then continuing to, to emphasize that indie publishing is not uh, a derogatory term, that we're, we're trying to essentially shape indie publishing into something that's more like the distinction between a garage band and an indie band, where, where one is making music, and that's great, but the other one's making music, really putting a professional sheen on it, really working hard at it, uh, acquiring the right skills, putting out, uh, collecting resources and putting out feelers to see what opportunities are available. And, and that's what we want to promote. Uh, but at the end of the day, actually, the, the connection with Act Accordingly is fantastic because Asymmetrical allows us to publish in a way we wouldn't be able to using other people's platforms. And what that means for a book like this, uh, this book that's very tiny, uh, it's, it's almost like a very large pamphlet, really. I think it, <laughs> the PDF file is like 78 pages. So I think in practice, that's maybe the low 70s or high 60s uh, worth of pages. Very short. I wanted it to be very concise. I wanted people who don't usually read books to be able to read this and still enjoy it. Uh, and, and I was able to do it, even though if I would have gone through a traditional publishing company, they would have laughed me out of the halls. They, they, they would have looked at a book like this and said, it is not financially viable to print something like this and distribute it and market it. It simply doesn't make any sense for us. And for us, though, using Asymmetrical and using the tactics that we have and the strategies that we have and the experience that we have uh, using modern publishing tools, it's very viable. This is not something I expect to make a million dollars off of, but I, I can make some money and more importantly, I can get these messages that I think are vitally important out to a whole lot of people. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build something sustainable, uh, financially sustainable, but also sustainable in other ways that will allow us to get the kind of work we want to see in the world 
out in the world. And that is fulfilling our personal goals, but also hopefully, uh, hopefully helping other people fulfill their goals as well. Colin, we're about out of time. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about Asymmetrical Press? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on Act Accordingly? <laughs> you can get in touch with me through my blog, exilelifestyle.com, uh, or you can send me an email to Colin at exilelifestyle.com. And I'm very active on Twitter. My handle is Colin is my name. Uh, asymmetrical.co.co is the, the website for Asymmetrical. And you can find the link to the community there if you are an author or publisher looking for support or just looking for other people to, to talk about the craft with. Uh, and then Act Accordingly will be available on Amazon in ebook and paperback on June 25th and shortly thereafter an audiobook. Outstanding. Colin Wright, publisher, entrepreneur, and author of Act Accordingly and other great books. It was great to have you, my friend. Thanks for making some time to join me. Uh, thanks again for having me. All right. Well, that wraps this episode. On behalf of my guest, Colin Wright, I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Radio. <laughs>